I realize it's not every week you walk into a church and you find us talking about superheroes, so a little word about what it is that is going on. Um, we're in the midst of an at-the-movies worship series because we have this idea that the movies we love might have something important to teach us. And so in this series, we're showing a movie outside in the big screen in the parking lot each Friday and then exploring it through the lens of Scripture and faith on the following Sunday. And so last week, we took a look at the movie Moana, which intersected with a passage from the book of Hebrews with a reminder that we inherit a tradition of faith from the generations who have gone before us, that we are called to step out courageously into the unknown, that we hold the same unchanging truth that has been passed down to us, but are called to embody it and share it in new ways. The best movies, I think, are good stories at their core, good stories that touch us and touch at what it means to live and breathe and love. They transport us to another place and yet help us explore who we are, where we are. They ask good questions and they reach for good answers and they help us wonder and imagine and hope. And the best movies tell stories that resonate so deeply with us and with our human experience that they echo with God's story for us. Not every film can manage this, but sometimes they surprise us. And so sometimes an animated superhero movie can turn out to be about so much more than anyone might expect. Today, we're going to look towards the uh, unexpected 2018 blockbuster Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, where we might just find a word of encouragement for the people that God has called us to be. You don't have to have seen the movie. We're so glad if you came last Friday to watch it. We'll get into it together. You'll get to hear the whole synopsis, and we will find a word from God for us in this film. Let us begin with prayer. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Can we be the kind of people that we are called to be? There is an enduring appeal to the superhero ever since Superman's first appearance in the comic book all the way back in the late 1930s. And as the decades have passed away and the world has ebbed and flowed in all of the time since, people of every generation have delighted in superhero stories as the lone superhuman character of the motley team of a fearless few make a stand in that never-ending battle between good and evil. And in recent years, the stories have moved the silver screen in what one opinion writer from the New York Times called Hollywood's comic book age. The second highest grossing film of this year so far is a superhero movie. Last year, the top two highest grossing movies were both superhero movies. And several years ago, I attempted to watch all of the Marvel superhero films that had been made was an effort to try to stay relevant with some of the youth in the church who loved these movies. And now, years later, after having watched a whole bunch of these movies, I am sorry to say that I still have something like a dozen left to watch, and also some TV shows, and I'm pretty sure there are more coming out all the time. There are just so many superhero movies because we have, it would appear, an insatiable appetite for that classic superhero story. Now, it could be that we would love any movie, where good tri triumphs over evil in such a cinematically stunning fashion, or it could be that we love imagining a world where heroes exist and could leap into the frame in the final second to save us all from inevitable doom. But I suspect 
it might be more than that. I think we like imagining that it could be possible for us to be superheroes. And I think the folks who write the superhero stories know this too, and so they work hard to balance the hero's impossible abilities with enough realism for us to think that they are just like us. And they do this with varying degrees of success, but the one character who has regularly managed to embody this balance is the one and only friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Spider-Man was introduced to the world in his first comic 60 years ago this month. And he was a deviation from the regular fare of superheroes up to that point. He was everything that the other superheroes were not. He was nerdy, picked on, an extraordinarily ordinary teenage boy. And those differences were intentional. Because in a time when teenagers were relegated to humor comics and sidekick roles, when superheroes leaned into their superhuman abilities, the author Stan Lee and the artist Steve Ditko wanted to make a superhero who was completely relatable to the average reader. And so they made Spider-Man, and Spider-Man was relatable. Anyone could see themselves as Spider-Man. When Peter Parker put on his spider suit, it could have been anyone swinging from the tall buildings and saving the city. Years later, Steve, uh, Stan Lee noticed this and actually said the costume he wears covers him completely. You see no skin at all. And now because of that, any youngster can imagine that he is Spider-Man. This was the appeal of Spider-Man then and all the way through to now that anyone could be Spider-Man. Anyone could be a superhero like that, a force for good in the world. And because of this, Spider-Man became a frequently spun-off superhero with various iterations appearing internationally as well as the comic books where he began because Spider-Man could be any average person. And because Spider-Man could be any average person, he has throughout the stories that are told about him a recurring struggle more than any other superhero about whether he can be the hero he's expected to be because he's really just a normal person. In 2011, Marvel comic authors introduced a new Spider-Man named Miles Morales, who is the star of today's movie, a movie which centers around that question, can Miles be who he needs to be? Can any of us, can all of us, be the people that we are called to be? Let me introduce you to Miles Morales. Here we have a picture of him. He is an Afro-Latino teenager living in New York. He is a regular kid. His dad is a police officer. His mom is a nurse. And everything starts as though he is a completely ordinary teenage boy. Now, from the beginning, he does have some challenges that are going to, ble- going to build up into that issue of identity that start with very normal teenage things. His parents want him to be a good teenage kid. They want him to go to school and succeed in school, and he's not sure about how to manage those expectations that are weighing down on him. And it only gets more complex when he finds himself suddenly bit by a radioactive spider, and everything changes in some ways, and yet he stays the same in other ways. He gains superhero powers, those normal Spider-Man ones you can think of, the spidey sense, the sticking to things, the slinging webs, and he is suddenly involved in this effort to fight the bad guys and save the world, that very basic superhero stakes that you find in every superhero story. And along the way, he collides with a whole bunch of other spider people. It's an interesting movie. It's called Spider-Man Through that, the, Into the Spider-Verse. It's a complete intersection of a whole bunch of different dimensions, each of which has some iteration of a Spider-Man. And so there's the old 
kind of tired Spider-Man. There is the girl who is named Gwen, who is a Spider-Woman. There is a uh, Spider-Person who fights with a robot. There's a pig who is a Spider-Man. It's a whole bizarre thing. And they all coalesce into Miles's world, all very assured of who they are as heroes, as spider People. They know their abilities and they know what they are to do, which is to save the world, whatever world they find themselves in. And Miles stands out from this group. Miles, who is now a spider person and wants to be a spider person, still struggles to be one. He can't swing. He can't use his powers reliably. He isn't confident. And so I think we have a picture of his parents. I skipped over that. There they are. Hi, Miles' parents, police officer nurse. They don't know that he becomes Spider-Man, but he does. Um, And at one point, he tries to leap off of a building because he has these abilities now, and instead, he falls. He falls, and it is damaging to him and who he thinks that he is, and raises this question ever more so, can he be Spider-Man? The world needs him. He wants to be, but he's not sure that he can be. And so at one point, near the beginning of the movie, he goes to buy a spider suit, just an everyday, ordinary Spider-Man outfit like you would wear for Halloween. And he asks the clerk at the store, can I return it if it doesn't fit? And the clerk, who turns out to be Stan Lee, making one of his last cameos in a Marvel film before he died, points to the no-return policy posted on the store wall and says to Miles, it always fits, eventually eventually. And that is the promise that seems to reverberate through the film as Miles looks to be the person that he wants and feels called to be. This question, can we become who we are called to be, is at the core of the start of this book of Philippians. A little bit of context about this book. It's written by Paul to a group in the city of Philippi, which is a difficult place to be a follower of Christ. It is a nationalistic city, a center of government, and so the people there have this strong sense of patriotism and national identity, which conflicts from the very beginning with the Christian message that Christ is their leader above all, that they're going to live in ways that are out of step of the world because they are following Christ's ways. And so when Paul comes to preach this gospel message, to found this church, he comes into some conflict with the people and the identity there in that city. But the church is founded, and those who become Christians remain there in Philippi, continuing in this struggle, suffering sometimes even persecution in their effort to remain faithful to the ways of Christ. And so Paul writes them a letter. He has found himself in prison, and he's a prolific letter writer, making up so much of the New Testament in these letters. And he starts off with an incredibly traditional, classic introduction to a letter. It's the same as if we were to write a letter today, Dear so-and-so, how are you? Hope you're doing well. Here's what I'm writing about. But in that time and in that culture, the introduction to a letter had a certain format, and so Paul leans into it and gives it all of uh, what it might need. And sometimes it feels so introductory to Paul's letters that we think we might like to skip over it to get to the meat of the letter. What is the conflict going on in this city? What is Paul trying to say here? Let's get past the introductory material and into what's important. But we find in the book of Philippians that Paul leans into this introduction because there's something important going on here. 
It's this highly complimentary, encouraging text. Paul is giving them so much, is exuding so much joy and encouragement for them, all with a particular theme. And all of what Paul says throughout this passage, he is drawing together both praise for where they are, what they have been doing for so long and are continuing to do, and he is drawing that together with encouragement to continue further on, to grow as people of faith. There's this idea in the way that Paul writes here and we can find throughout scriptures that when we come to faith in Christ, it is something that happens all at once and also something that happens over the entire span of a person's life. It's like being bit by a spider, perhaps. Something that happens in a moment you might be able to point back to and say, that's when I came to faith, or that's when I was baptized, and that's when I knew, and I became someone different. And yet, the person that we are is slower to change. We have ongoing struggles to become and be the people that we know that we are called and intended to be. And so Paul is drawing this together. Encouragement for where they are. They have changed. They are doing great work. And also, they have somewhere to go and to grow. The one who started a good work in you, Paul writes, will surely stay and continue it until the day of Christ. Then later he writes, this is my prayer that your love might become even more and more rich. The work has begun. The love is there. You have been changed and transformed in some way, Paul says, and yet also it's going to keep happening. You're moving somewhere. And to where? It seems to be to a love of God and a love of neighbor that surpasses all other things. A love that has the depth of wisdom and insight, an ability to focus on the things that matter in life and avoid being pulled into the petty disputes and meaningless conflicts that seek to draw us away, to live a life that embodies God's principles and protects the powerless and stands up for what is good and right and just and holy, to love God and love neighbor above all else. This, Paul says, is his prayer for the people of Philippi, perhaps a prayer for all of those who follow Christ, all who have known some transformation and yet find that God is continuing to work in them. It is an important message for all of us who may be new to the walk of faith and wondering why we're not transformed in a moment, but also for those of us who have been here for a while to know that we are still being transformed, that God is still with us, continuing a good work that began so long ago. Faith isn't something that happens all in a moment, though something happens in that moment. God shows up and does something, and then God does not leave. God is with us still, working on us still. In Wesleyan language, this might sometimes be called being perfected in love. We are in process in faith. We are headed towards a more perfect love, one day towards a completely perfect love, that we would be wholly the people that God has called us to be. There is one big shining goal for us, to be exactly that, and it is a seemingly impossible goal. One that can feel so very far off, so very removed from where we are in the place that we find ourselves today. 
aware perhaps of the ways that we have loved and been loving, and aware also of those ways we have found ourselves falling short. It can be a place that is isolating, like we're all alone in our struggles and our failings, like something should have changed in us so we would be better than this by now. We would be all perfected by now. Why is it still so hard? But Paul writes a letter that is confident and encouraging about continuing on, ensuring the reader that we are not alone. God is with us. God will continue the good work that began in us. And it's not that just that God is with us in some sort of metaphorical sense, but in a very real way. Because the Christ who has gone with us, who goes with us still, is the Christ who has brought us together. The Christ who holds us together in the body of Christ, this community of faith. God is with us in a very real way when we are with one another. You can see some of this theme threaded throughout this passage. Paul writes to the Philippians and talks about them as partners in the ministry of the gospel, partners in grace. He is in jail writing this letter and yet encouraged by the Philippians because of their ongoing faithfulness to ministry. And he's writing back hoping to encourage them also that they can be supportive of one another in the work that they are doing, the ministry that they are partners in. There is a safety in a community of faith, a place where love is abundant, where faith can be encouraged There is something incredible that happens there when God shows up and reveals to us through one another who we can be and that we can be the people we are called to be. Something incredible can happen when we are together and we can provide encouragement and hope for one another. When we can say, yes, I've been there, I know what it feels like to fall short. I know what it's like to grieve or to question, to wonder how to hope. If I made it through, you can too. Something important can happen when we are together and we can offer a shoulder to lean on, a tissue for the crying eye, when we can be there for one another in those difficult moments to say, yes, this is hard. It is so very difficult, and yet we continue together, side by side, in the grace of God, and with God going with us and before us. It doesn't all happen in a moment. We're being transformed even still. We are being transformed together. By the end of the movie, Miles Morales, ordinary teenager from New York, becomes a Spider-Man. It takes until the very end of the movie, after all of the other Spider-People have doubted that Miles has what it takes, and yet they are there for him anyway, with encouragement and hope that he can do it. And it comes after an emotional scene when Miles' dad, who has no idea that he has become Spider-Man, has a heart-to-heart with him just the same. And he says to his son, I see this, this spark in you. 
It's amazing. It's why I push you. But it's yours, and whatever you choose to do with it, you'll be great. I love you. Extraordinary things can happen when we find ourselves wrapped in someone else's love, when someone else believes in us more than we could believe in ourselves, when they see something deep in us, a spark, a hope, a promise of who we will be, even if we're not there yet. And wrapped in that love, extraordinary things can happen. After that heart-to-heart with his father, Miles goes up to a tall building, and he leaps off. We have a picture of it, and I just want to show it because it's a gorgeous cinematography in this animated film. He leaps, and he falls. They call it a leap of faith in the movie. Leaps of faith are things that we take in faith as well. When we know that we are held by one another, that God holds us, we can step out and know that we will become who we are intended to be, even if we're not sure how it will happen. Miles falls a long way from a building, and then, with the help of a web and the love of his father, his parents, his friends, swings from building to building. They go on, they save the world, everyone gets back home. All is well and as it should be. And at the very end of the movie, Miles Morales says this, And when I feel alone, like no one understands what I'm going through, I remember my friends who get it. I never thought I'd be able to do any of this stuff. But I can. Anyone can wear the mask. Can we be the people, the kind of people that God has called us to be? It is some sort of impossible goal, impossible hope, and yet one we hold for one another with encouragement and grace, one that we stretch for in leaps of faith, and one that we discover we can meet. We can be the kind of people we are called to be, from ordinary, everyday people into superheroes of a sort, of faith, and in love, who can endure and continue in whatever life brings. Thanks be to God. Amen. Friends, I'd like to invite